Alright, so we're going to be going through 2 Kings chapter 5 this morning. And I want to show you something in this. This is something I actually preached on years ago. And I really wanted to preach this again. It was right after, it wasn't long after we started the church. It was on a Sunday night, so probably none of you were here for it. Um, and so I thought, I, I've really been wanting to preach on this again. This is something just, I was reading this years ago, and the Lord just kind of made something jump out of the Scriptures at me as I was reading this. But often when you read the Bible, and when you read the Old Testament, you'll just kind of see random stories that, you know, they seem like random stories about a miracle or Sometimes they're just just real random stories. There maybe aren't even any miracles in there. But when you really look at them, you can see some super clear pictures of salvation in there. And God wrote these things in the Old Testament you know, as a picture to help you know, reveal things to us. And just to show that He's always had one plan. There's never been any accident with God. And it just... Is it a, is, to me, it's just one of the most amazing things about the Bible, the way God put these things together. There is no way you can have one guy writing 2 Kings and telling a story like this and then have the writings of Paul that come hundreds and hundreds of years later. And when you see the way these things fit together, I mean, it just leaves you with only one conclusion, and that is this is the Word of God and not the Word of man. And so I want us to notice in verse 1, Look what it says. It says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his masters and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. So here we have a man. He's a good man. He's a mighty man. He's somebody who's done some great things, but there's a problem. He's a leper. And the title of the message is Naaman and the Lost Sinner. And Naaman in this story... He represents just any lost person. He represents us before we got saved. We might have had some good things going for us. We might have done some good things. We might have even been very religious people. But you know one thing we can say about all of us? We were sinners. We had a problem. We were a sinner. And he, this man, the problem he had was leprosy. And leprosy is, I believe, often a picture of sin in the Bible. It was a very disgusting disease. It was an incurable disease. It was one that, you know, once you got it, you were in trouble. There was nothing that you could do about it. And so here we've got this mighty man. He's got this terrible problem that he'd love to get rid of. But what do you do when you're a leper? What do you do when you have something that can't be cured? And you know what? What do you do when you're a sinner? What do you do when you've already blown it? You've already transgressed God's law. There's nothing you can do about it. You can't undo the sin that you've done. What can you do to find cleansing? Well, there's only one thing that will cleanse you, and it's the blood of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see a great picture of that in this story of Naaman. Look at what it says in verse 2. Um, and it says, And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Mistress, would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. Now this little maid here, I believe that she represents the soul winner. Here we've got a little maid. The Bible doesn't even tell us her name. We've got a little girl. She's just there to kind of wait on Naaman's wife. This is She's somebody that's been taken captive. And what does she do? She knows that Naaman's got a problem. And what does she do? She tells him about somebody that could help with his problem. Now, is that not what we do when we go out soul winning? We can't fix anybody's problem. All right? There's nothing that we can do, but we can tell people about the person who can fix their problem. And I think it's interesting too how it mentions that she was somebody that was taken captive. And you know, aren't we kind of stuck here on this world right now? 
Doesn't the Bible teach that we are strangers and pilgrims on this earth? You know, we've all asked the question before, Lord, we're saved. Why don't you just go ahead and take us now? Get us out of here. But the truth is, we're here to tell other people. It says in John 17, verse 15, Jesus is praying. He said, I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, talking about the believers, but that thou shouldst keep them from evil. In verse 20, he says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. So we see that Jesus, he prayed, you know, God, don't take them out of the world. All right, now why not? He did pray that God would keep them from evil. Pray that you know, God you know, protect them. But there's a reason God needs us to be here right now in this world that we do not fit in with, that we do not belong with anymore, and that is to tell other people about the One who can cleanse their sins. And we can be a great blessing to other people by telling them about Jesus. It might stink for us. We might like to go ahead and inherit the earth right now and want to... you know. Be the ones in charge and all that, but the truth is we're not. We're strangers and pilgrims. About, you know, we're despised by the world. We're often you know, hated by the world. But you know what? Whether they know it or not, we are a great blessing to the world when we're out there giving them the Gospel and telling people how to be saved. And that's exactly what this little maid does here. She's like, you know what? If he could just get to Elisha. Elisha could take care of his problem. And we tell people, if you could just get to Jesus, Jesus would, could, could cleanse you of your sin. Jesus could solve your problems. And so we see, you know, the, in uh, verse 5, it says, And the king of Syria said, Go to go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. Now, this is a pretty natural response, okay? Most people, when we go to them and we try to tell them how they can know for sure they're going to heaven, you know, hey, would you like. Can I show you how you can be sure you're going to heaven? You want to know why most people reject? It's because most people just think they're going to try to get me to go to church. They're going to try to get me to turn my life around. They're going to try to get me to do this. They're going to expect this. I can't do that. There's other people out there too that sometimes even will come to church, come into church because maybe they are desperate. Maybe they are struggling from their sin and suffering because of their sin. And they're wanting to come to church but they come not just looking for cleansing, you know, not not looking to come by faith, but they often come bearing gifts. Many people come to church thinking, if I go to church, then God will fix my problems. If I go to church, if I start doing everything they preach about in that church, then you know God will heal me of my sins. God will let me into heaven. If I put money in the offering plate, if I start dressing like a Christian and talking like a Christian, if I give up my drinking and my smoking and all these things, then you know I will be a Christian. That is, is that not the natural response? Is to want to work? When we ask people, what do you think a person's got to do to be saved? You know, it's well, you know, do good works. You know, keep the Ten Commandments. Do this, do that. They're thinking, I can bring my gifts and I'll buy salvation. Is that not what they're thinking? And so here we got Naaman the Syrian. He hears about somebody that could cleanse him of his leprosy. And what does he do? He goes bearing gifts. That's just kind of a natural response. And so we see that Elisha has been mentioned. Elisha is the man of God that the little girl is referring to. And Elisha in this story, I believe, represents Jesus Christ. Okay? Elisha represents Christ in the story. Keep that in mind. And so, uh, let's keep reading a little bit. Verse 6 says, And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is coming to thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, 
that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive? Uh, that this man doth send me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so when Elisha the man of God had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot, and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. So at first, you know, Naaman he sends this letter just trying to get the king to basically make Elisha do it. And you know, and really, when you stop to think about it, these people that try bringing their works to Jesus to come bearing gifts, they're trying to make God save them. But folks, we're saved by God's mercy. We are saved by grace. We can't make God save us. All right, we we can't do that. All right, the only way you can force God, I guess you could say, to save us is by you know forcing Him to keep His promise, and that means we just come by faith. That means we come by a little child. But you can come and you can try to force your gifts on Him. You can try to force your works on Him. Demand that He let you in because of all that you've done, all that you've accomplished. But you know what? It's not going to work with God. The only way is you're going to have to come His way. And so Elisha tells him, hey, you know, just, just let him come to me. Alright? Just let him come and he will know that a prophet has been in Israel. And so in verse 10 it says, And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. So notice how Elisha doesn't go to this man, this mighty man, this great man, you know, who would like to see Elisha, this other man of God. You know, Elisha should understand this is Naaman, right? This is the captain of Syria that is coming. You'd think Elisha would, you know, want to meet him. But you know what? Elisha doesn't meet him. Elisha sends a messenger to him. Kind of like God sent a messenger to the Jews that was Jesus Christ, but they rejected Him, didn't they? Now, Jesus Christ has sent us as messengers to the world. And Jesus said, hey, if the world rejects us, they're actually rejecting Him. Alright? God has chose to use us to deliver His message, to deliver the plan of salvation. And notice that the plan, notice the message that He gives. He says, go and dip in the Jordan River seven times. That's pretty easy, isn't it? That's real easy. It's kind of like the plan of salvation. We just drink the water, right? We just eat the bread of life. We just believe on Him. It's so simple. The plan of salvation is so simple that most people don't get it. And it's not that they don't get it. They reject it. Why? Because they're a lot like Naaman was at first. We're going to see here in a minute. And so he does. He just gives them this I mean, simple plan. This guy who comes bearing his gifts, the messenger, he doesn't say, hey, what did you bring for Elisha? You know, there's, no, there's, no, there's no price tag on it. You know, the, Elisha doesn't even mention any of these things. He just sends a messenger, go tell him to dip in the Jordan River seven times. You know, Naaman came bearing all these gifts. You know, he came ready to meet 
this man thinking, I'm, I'm going to bring all these gifts. He's going to meet with me. He's going to do some great thing. And then I'm going to be cleansed of my leprosy. But no, it was just that simple. And folks, that's how it is when it comes to getting people saved. A lot of people are looking for a religious experience. They want to come to church. They want to get slain in the Spirit. They want to see some cool thing. They want to see some big fancy building. You know, They want to make this pilgrimage. They want to crawl across broken glass or whatever on their hands and knees. They want to do something big. But what does God choose? God chooses to just send us out with a real simple message. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's exactly what God does with us. And so then, notice what it says in verse 11. Alright, so you think you'd be thrilled with that, right? Wouldn't you think everybody would be thrilled when we come to their house telling them, hey, you can go to heaven for free. You can go to heaven just by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can, go to, you can quit working for your salvation right now and just start trusting in Jesus Christ and you'll go to heaven. And if you keep working for your salvation right now, you're, you're going to go to hell. You'd think people would be thrilled with that. Wouldn't you be thrilled if you found out that you know what? The best way to make money was to quit going to your job. And just retire? I mean, we'd all be thrilled to death with that, wouldn't we? You know, if somebody came to your house and said, Hey, you want to have financial success? You know, you're doing it all wrong. Quit your job and retire. You know, now here's the thing, most of us wouldn't believe that, would we? Alright? And you know, in in this world that would probably be correct. Alright? Don't listen to somebody if they tell you to do that. But you know what? When it comes to the word of God, when it comes to the plan of salvation, it is it's something that is it's so good, it's so simple. It's so easy. There is only one way that anybody is going to get it, and that is if they have faith and believe God. That's it. That's the only way. And that's exactly what God wants. That is what pleases God. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. So you'd think that everybody would be thrilled when we come to their house telling them this. You would think that we would be the most popular people in town, but you know what? We're not. In fact, sometimes we're hated because of this. And look at what Naaman does. I mean, here, he, you know, he could have just kept all of his gifts, but what happens when he tells him, go dip in the Jordan River seven times, which is so easy, it says, but Naaman was wroth and went away and said, behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Parpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. You know, we'd make more people happy if we told them, you know, hey, do you want to go to heaven? You got to come to our church. You got to get baptized. You got to join our church. You got to go through all these classes. You got to take a catechism. You got to, you know, take communion. You got to, you know, do 20 jumping jacks. You got to, you know, whatever. I mean, people would rather hear that kind of thing then here's something just so simple as believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And it makes no sense. This is good news. And Naaman gets mad about it. He's thinking, you know, I thought he was going to come out and he was going to just do some cool thing and heal me. You know, I thought he was going to come out in a long robe and a long pointy hat with some kind of cool pot that he's stirring, you know, like some kind of wizard trick, and then make me drink a potion and then I was going to be healed. Or, you know, what about these other rivers of Damascus? You know, if, if, if he would have come out and said, listen, you're going to have to take this travel. You're going to have to go across, you know, Death Valley and through, you know, this horrible swamp. And if you can fight off these dragons and, uh, you know, destroy all these, you know, things and defeat this army, you can get to these hidden waters, you know, of the cave of mystery. And if you go in there and you dip in that water, then you'll be cleansed. Naaman would have been all over that. He would have been all over that and thrilled to hear that, but nope, go dip in the Jordan River seven times. It's not far away. It's right there. It's easy. 
It's, it's that simple. And so he gets mad about it. And it's just like what happens. We, you know, tell me why it is that the Catholic Church has more people than we do. You know, why is it that these churches that make you work your way to heaven have more people than we do? You know why? Because they got a bunch of Naamans in their church. How he was at first. Thankfully, he didn't stay that way. And they do. They want to work their way. It's just human nature. It's natural. They don't want to have faith. Why is it that there's Muslims out there that will blow themselves up thinking that will get them into heaven? Why? Why will they go that far? It's human nature. It's a pride thing. And so we see here that you know, Naaman, he's wroth. And look what it says in verse 14. It says, Then he went down... Or not verse 14. Verse 13. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing... Wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather than when he saith to thee, wash and be clean? He said, if he had told you to slay a dragon, you'd have slayed the dragon. If he had told you to go fight an army, you'd fought the army. If he said climb a mountain, you'd have climbed the mountain. If he tells you to just go wash and be clean, why don't you just do it? Why don't you just, you know, and so we see that's exactly what he, what he ends up doing. And I think it's interesting too how he mentions you know, he tells him to go in the Jordan River, and I believe that the Jordan River in this story it represents the blood of Christ. I, I think it's a clear representation of the blood of Christ. The name Jordan it means the river of judgment. And you think about it, what was the blood of Christ? That was judgment. That was payment for our sins. The Bible says it pre it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He was taking on our payment for our sin. When he died on the cross, and there is only one way to heaven, and it is through the blood of Jesus Christ. And if Naaman would have went to a man or Parvar, it would not have worked. He would not have been cleansed. He had to go through the the river that he was told to go to, and it was the Jordan River. And if somebody's going to get cleansed from their sins, they've got to go the only way through the only God, and that is through Jesus Christ and through His blood. That is the only thing that will cleanse you. And so notice too, you know. Said so he hasn't even so he hasn't even seen Elisha yet. Said so he's offended by the fact that Elisha hasn't showed up. How many times have we heard that where people are like, well, if I could see Jesus, then I would believe. You know, I've got to see God in order to believe in God. But you know what? God does not take people up on that and show Himself and reveal Himself. That's not how God works. We don't get in on or God doesn't listen to our demands. We're supposed to listen to His commands is what's supposed to happen. And so, anyway, His servants, they, they reason with Him. And then in verse 15, it says, And He returned to the man of God, and He and all His company... Or, verse 14, I'm sorry. Then went He down and dipped Himself seven times in Jordan according to the saying of the man of God, and His flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and He was clean. And notice how this cleansing too. I mean, it's like a little child; the flaws are gone. Right? He's, he's. I mean, his skin is perfect at this point. And when God cleanses us from our sins, doesn't He not cleanse us and make us completely whole? What does the Bible teach? The Bible teaches that now that we have been imputed the righteousness of Jesus Christ, when we stand before God someday, we we're not going to be just you know a little bit dirty. We're going to be perfectly clean. We're going to be perfectly whole because that's what the blood of Christ does. It's total payment for all of our sins. And so then, so we see here just a beautiful picture of salvation. 
in this story. Naaman gets cleansed, but then some things happen after this story, just like there are some things that often happen after someone gets saved. And look what it says in verse 16, or verse 15. It says, And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, now I know there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. So now we see after he's been saved, now he gets to see the man of God. Now he's able to meet Elisha. And folks, we haven't seen Jesus personally. We haven't seen Him face to face. But do we not have His Spirit dwelling inside of us? Do we not have a relationship now with Jesus Christ? We are not. We are now able to communicate with Him. He's there with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. And thank God for that. I'm looking forward to the day when we get to see Him in the flesh. But you know what? We've got the Holy Spirit right now. We have Him inside of us. And you know what? I'm, I'm thrilled with that. And now, and so Naaman now he's able to approach to the man of God, and just and the truth is, you know, the Holy Spirit can't come inside of us until we've been cleaned, because He's holy. And so once the blood of Christ cleanses us, now He's able to enter. And one of these days, we're going to stand before God in the flesh, and we'll be able to do that because we will have been clean, washed, washed in the blood of the Lamb. So look at verse sixteen. So he comes to him. He's wanting him to take a blessing. And then in verse 16 it says, But he said, As the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. So he's trying to reward Elisha for healing him. Now why couldn't Elisha take it? He's already been cleansed. So doesn't that prove that you know, if uh, you know, it's you know, not of works, not paying for anything? Well, I think he didn't even take it afterwards because you have these... God knew there was going to be these clowns one of these days in the future that teach, well, you don't have to repent of your sins to be saved, but if you get saved, you will repent of your sins. You know, you don't have to do works to get saved, but if you get saved, you'll do the works. And so I think he did this here because he didn't want to be sending a false message. He didn't want other people to think that, you know what, if I'm going to get cleansing myself, I'm going to have to have the gifts like Naaman had. Because you know, there are some people they are not going to have any gifts to, to bring. There are some people that are out there that get saved that they really don't have anything of any significance to offer. And the truth is, none of us have anything to offer. All right, some of us, we've convinced ourselves we're pretty good and we're something special. But folks, when you match us up with Jesus Christ, what do we have to contribute? Nothing. All right, we have, there's nothing. All we can do is be a willing vessel that God can use and so for Elisha to have taken this gift, it's going to send a bad message. It's going to send a bad message to other people. It would have sent a bad message to us. This would clearly be something that the Repent of Your Sins preachers would use, but here he is, he's refusing the gifts. And so look what it says in verse 17, But Naaman said, Shall there not that I pray thee be given to thy servant two mules, burden of the earth? For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. In this thing, the Lord pardon thy servant, that when, the, when my master goeth into the house of Rimmon to worship there, and he ends forth, lean on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon. When I bow down myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing. What was happening here, Naaman, he's worried about when he goes back home. He's worried about, he's like, you know, I'm not going to do any more sacrifices to other gods. However, you know, I am going to have to participate 
and the worship of other gods. You know, when my master goes and he's leading me, and I'm helping him in there, and I got to go and do the procedures and bow before him. I need you to pardon that sin. So he's saying, take these gifts, so my sins will be covered in the future. Is basically what he's doing right here. And notice what, and look what he says to him in verse 19. He said unto him, "Go in peace." So he departed and went a little way. Now, isn't that something that people often get concerned about? What about after I get saved? What about from here on out? You know, what if I sin? Okay, folks. You know what? He said, go in peace because when we get saved, we have eternal security. We're never going to lose our salvation. Now, I don't believe that Elisha was telling him here, go ahead and bow in the house of Remen. You know, go ahead. But I don't think he's giving him permission to do these things, but he's telling him to go in peace. You know what? And I maybe I'm reading into this. I think you know God would help him do the right thing in that situation. You know, I imagine when he went to his master and told him and said, listen... Elisha, a man of God, a prophet in Israel who serves the true God, he healed me of my leprosy. You know, a man who serves the God of Israel healed my leprosy. His God healed me. I don't feel right going in there and bowing before another God. Can you use somebody else? Can you? I personally think he would let him do it. I personally think Naaman would have done the right thing, just like the Holy Spirit helps us do the right thing if we submit to him. I believe he would have helped Naaman do the right thing. But Naaman had the wrong attitude here thinking, I'm going to pay. And what does it say in Hebrews chapter 10? If we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there is no more sacrifice for sin. Okay? We don't go now and do sacrifices for our sins. Okay? Those sins have already been paid for by Jesus Christ, but when we sin willfully, you know what we do get? You know, God's going to judge us on earth. And, but we're not going to lose our salvation. And Naaman, if he would have went in there, I believe you know he would have been judge on earth. I think he'd have seen it and he'd have probably gotten right. But here's the thing. He, there, it would have been a horrible thing for Elisha to have accepted that gift as payment for a sin he might do in the future. That sends a terrible message. And we see in this story in verse 20, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master had spared name in the Syrian and not receiving at his hand that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. Now, you know who Gehazi is? Gehazi, he's the false prophet that's out there. He's that preacher that's out there to get gain from people. He's the guy that we were kind of talking about in Sunday school. He sees that there's something that he can benefit from in the ministry. And so he's out there seeing, man, these people that get healing... They appreciate it. They're willing to give great gifts. And he's like, you know what? I want some of that. I want, I want that gift. I want those possessions. This guy's willing to give great things. So what does he do? It says in verse 21, So Gehazi followed after Naaman and went, and Naaman saw him running after him, and he lighted down from the chariot to meet him, and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master hath sent me, saying, Behold, even now there be come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. He's going and he's putting words in the mouth of Elisha. Just like false prophets often put words in the mouth of God. They often change the Word of God and they manipulate the Word of God. They say, Thus saith the Lord, when the Lord hath not said. 
and they go and they try to make merchandise of people. And we see throughout the New Testament, you know, guys like the Apostle Paul, they warn that after people get saved, there's often grievous wolves that come in, not sparing the flock. And that's one of the reasons we want to have a church. That's why it's good after people get saved. Well, after people get saved, even if they never come to our church, they're still going to heaven. But you know what? It's better if we can get them into our church because we can teach them the truth and we can protect them from the false prophets that are out there. Because you know what? I'm a, you know, a lot of people ask the question, you know, where are all these people that get saved? Not solely. Well, unfortunately, a lot of them are still in the same church as they were going to before they got saved. A lot of them accidentally end up in the wrong church. A lot of them have Gehazis that come running after them trying to get their gifts from them. They're messing with the Word of God. That often happens to save people. I remember when I was at my dad's church, there were some folks that on the bus route. Their kids rode the bus. And I remember witnessing to their parents and their parents were saved. And I was trying to get them into church. Trying to get them into church. And I worked with uh, the dad too. And I remember one day I saw the dad at work. He worked in a different department. He came up to me. He's like, he's like, hey, I got good news I want to tell you, but we're gonna we start we're gonna start going to church. We we decided to take your advice and get into church. So I'm thinking, oh great, you know, you know, I'm expecting to see him on Sunday. I didn't see him that Sunday or anything, and I didn't see him the next Sunday. And he was telling me, he's like, man, we're taking your advice and we're gonna start going to church and get my family all in church. And so then I went and visited them, and I was like, hey, you know. He's like, oh no! He's like, you said you're going to take my advice, come to church, and he's like, oh no, no, we're going to, we're just going to, and I forgot what the name of the church. We're going to this other church, and this church they were going to is terrible, and I'm just like, wrong church, you know, I, you know, and for and I don't know what attracted him to that church, but probably some Gehazi came running after him, and that happens sometimes, and that's sad when that happens, and it's frustrating. But you know what? There's a lot of guys out there like that. And so Gehazi goes after him. He gives him a false message. He takes these gifts from him. And it says in verse 23, And Naaman said, Be content, take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver and two bags and two changes of garments and laid them upon two of his servants. And they bear them before him. And when he came into the tower, he took them from their hand and bestowed them in the house. And he let the men go and they departed. But he went in and stood before his master, and Elisha said unto him, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? And he said, Thy servant went no whither. Stinking liar, just like all the false prophets are. They go out there and they make merchandise out of God's people. They prey on the flock of God. People who are saved, bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, and they lie to these people. They manipulate these people just trying to get things from them. Sending them a wrong message. Now, I don't know what happened to Naaman after this. I don't know. Maybe Naaman went on after this thinking, alright, you know what? They took my offering as payment for this sin that I was thinking I was going to do. And maybe Naaman went on and continued participating and bowing to that idol. Same people sometimes get involved in idolatry. Maybe that ended up happening in his life and he never did anything great for God. He never was a witness in Syria. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But maybe because of that, he ended up doing absolutely nothing. Maybe he went and did something great. I don't know. But the truth is, there's many people that get saved and they never do anything for God because of these false prophets that come along. You know how many churches there are in communities these days that are basically, you know, just they're, you know, we call them the trash can churches, that they are, they're just taking all the people from other churches. 
You'll have the one soul winning church in the community that's getting people saved. And they send their little false prophets out there pulling people out of those churches. You know, using the things of the flesh. You know, preying on those who are just, you know, spiritually immature. It is such a wicked thing and this world is full of them. And Paul warned about him, and we see a perfect picture of this here, of this here. And so here he goes. He gets confronted by the man of God, and he's just lying to his face. And look in verse twenty six, and he said unto him, Went not mine heart with thee, when the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee? Is it a time to receive money and to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maid servants? The leprosy therefore of Naaman shall cleave unto thee unto thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence a leper as white as snow. And you know what that's a reminder? That's a reminder that these false prophets that are out there, they are not saved. He went out a leper as white as snow. I mean, he's got it. He's got it bad. And many of these uh, these false prophets, the Bible refers to them as being twice dead. These, These are people that they are reprobate concerning the faith. They are good for nothing and they are just ruining people. And you know what? Not only are they ruining the lives of people, the people that they're out supposedly reaching themselves, their children are also lepers. The people that they're raising up, the people that they are supposedly winning are also lepers. He said that not that leprosy, it's going to be on you and on your seed forever. And I'm telling you, these false prophets aren't getting people saved. False prophets never get anyone saved. False prophets only do two things. They make people twofold more a child of hell, and then they ruin good or you know, new Christians, young Christians, and keep them from ever producing fruit. That is what false prophets do, and that's what Gehazi did. And so what you know, we see in this story, what happens with Gehazi, it, does, it kind of just ruins this picture that God was trying to paint. But at the same time, it gives us a picture of what happens all the time today, doesn't it? And that name Gehazi, it means valley of sight. Kind of the opposite of faith. And this is a man who has no faith. And we have many religions today that teach people that, that not you know, well, you don't have to do works to get salvation, but you have to do works to keep your salvation. That is the message that Gehazi sent Naaman when he took those gifts, when he took those gifts from him. And you know, many people today, they're content to rely on someone else other than Christ to keep them safe. We believe in eternal security. Why? Because we know our works didn't get us saved and we know our works don't keep us saved. That's how come we know we're going to heaven. We know we're going to heaven because Jesus Christ keeps us safe. His payment keeps us safe. His blood that He shed keeps us keeps us saved. And you know what? Maybe Naaman was thinking, you know, if I leave here and I go and I do something bad, I go into the house of Rimmon, I'm going to go and I'm going to get my leprosy back. Not realizing, hey, you got cleansed in the Jordan River. You're cleansed from leprosy forever. And many people today, after they get saved, there's often false prophets that come and mess with their minds and make them think you got to do something to keep your salvation. There are many people teaching that kind of junk out there. But folks, what keeps us saved is the blood of Jesus Christ. His righteousness keeps us saved. He will never lose His righteousness. Therefore, we will never lose our imputed righteousness. And so we have eternal security. That's why we know we're going to heaven. And Gehazi, he was he punished greatly for his actions, just like God is going to punish false prophets one of these days. Jude one twenty four says, Now unto him 
that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. The lesson from this story I think we can get from a, just a random story in the book of Second Kings in the Old Testament is to rely completely on the work of Jesus Christ for salvation. Folks, you know, Two different guys can't write two different things like this and make them fit together that perfect. This is such a clear picture of salvation that we see in the Old Testament that there is only one conclusion we can come to, and that is this is the Word of God that we hold right here. And so I hope by this message you're amazed by the Word of God, and I hope you understand too just how important it is to rely completely on Jesus Christ for salvation. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much. For your goodness to us, we thank you that salvation is a free gift. We don't have to work for it. That we don't ever have to worry about losing it. And dear God, I pray uh, you'll help us to be like this little maid that we see in the Bible. That we will tell others about that gift of salvation. And uh, help them to see that it is free. And we'll see many people saved as a result. In your name we pray. Amen.